Revelation. Revelation chapter 3. Verse 7. Revelation 3, chapter 3, verse 7. The church of Philadelphia, the church of revival. And we're going to look at the anatomy of revival. This is a last days church in revival. And I believe it to be much more than just pre-tribulational. I believe that this church is the church that will be in the tribulation period. Along with all the other churches. Depicting an aspect of what God is doing in that time. Of the tribulation period. Seven year tribulation period. A church on fire. A church in revival. A persecuted church. But a protected church. Amen. I'll try to prove that to you today if I could. Everybody with your Bibles open please. You need a Bible. Lift your hand. Somebody will get you the word of God today. You're a blessed person today. If you have a, able to have a Bible in your hands. In China and certain parts of the world, some places it's not law, lawful to have a Bible. They'll persecute you. They'll kill you for that. So take advantage of having the opportunity to have a Bible. If you don't have a Bible, buy you one. And if uh, you buy you one, buy you an expensive one. Why do I say that? Because if you just spend $5 on it, that's what it means to you. Put some money in a good Bible because it's your life. Hallelujah. You put good money in a good Bible, that means you value what you have, and you'll take care of what you have, and you'll spend time in it. But if you spend $5, that's pretty much all you'll put into it. I'm, I mean that. I'm serious. It's true. The Church of Philadelphia is an awesome church. He said to the angel of the church in Philadelphia, this is not just a, a creature, a created being called an angel that's invisible. Why would God give a letter to an invisible angel? Because an invisible angel is not going to walk into that church and give the letter to that church. He's given the letter to a messenger. Angel means a messenger or to the set man of that house. And so this is first given to the angel or the messenger of the church in Philadelphia. He says, write, these things saith he that is holy. Or literally the Greek is the holy. Saith the holy. He is the holy. He that is true. The Greek is the true. So he is the holy and he is the true. Praise God. He that hath the key of David. He that openeth and no man shutteth and shutteth and no man openeth. I know thy works. Behold, I have set before thee an open door. And no man can shut it, for thou hast a little power. King James says strength. Literally, literal, a little power. No man can shut it, for thou hast a little power. You've kept my words, and hast not denied my name. This is an apostolic church. Kept his word. The apostolic word, the word of the apostles, his word. And hast not denied his name, the name of Jesus. Behold, I will make them of the synagogue of Satan, which say they are Jews and are not, but do lie. Behold, 
And these will be persecutors, by the way. These will be religious persecutors of the Jesus name apostolic church in the tribulation period. I want you to understand that, okay? They say they're Jews, but they do lie. Behold, I will make them to come and worship before thy feet. Before thy feet. He didn't say his feet. He said thy feet. So the persecutors are going to recognize the true church of the Lord Jesus Christ. And he says, and to know that I have loved thee. And that's powerful because when you go through suffering, one of the things that you begin to do is to doubt whether or not God loves you. But he says to this church in the midst of a time of suffering way back in history, but I'll show you and I'll prove it to you today, it's a time in the last days uh, that this church is laid out and I'll prove that to you but he said that he wants everybody to know that I have loved you no matter how much you suffer no matter what you go through you need to remember that the Lord loves you today when you're suffering you don't believe that God loved me he wouldn't let me go through what I'm going through where'd you get that theology this church is going to be a persecuted church I'm preaching about. But it's a revival church. It's an apostolic church. It's a Jesus name church. It's a one God church. But it's a suffering church that God loves. Remember that. Verse 10. Because thou hast kept the word of my endurance or perseverance. The only time you have to persevere is when you're suffering. If you're not suffering, if you're not persecuted, you don't have to persevere. If you're not going through anything, you don't need to persevere. You don't need to endure. But if you're going through a time of suffering and persecution, then the word perseverance or endurance or patience, same thing, is something that this church has to do. Persevere. All right? So remember that. So this is a suffering church that must persevere. He said, because thou hast kept the word of my patience or my endurance or my perseverance. I also will keep thee from the hour of temptation or literally out of the hour of temptation. Which shall come upon all the world to try them that dwell upon the earth. Behold, I come quickly. I urkomai. Say with me, urkomai. Urkomai is the Greek word here for the coming of the Lord. And the urkomai of the Lord or the coming of the Lord is his Visible appearing at the end of the tribulation period. And he's talking to a church. And the context is in relationship to his second coming to the earth. This church was not caught out pre-trib. This church was in the midst of the tribulation period. And he says, watch, I'm going to read to you again. He says, uh, let me get there in verse 10 because thou hast kept the word of my patience I also will keep thee from the hour of temptation what does it not say it does not say he will keep you from the seven year tribulation period nor does it say that he'll keep you from martyrdom nor does it say he will keep you from persecution doesn't say any of that we read into the scripture if we're pre-tribulational we love to use that verse to prove that we're not going to go through the seven-year tribulation period. That is not what that verse says. I know because I preached it that way for years because I was pre-tribulational. The Bible does not say that he will keep you from the seven years tribulation. It does not say he will keep you from martyrdom. It does not say he will keep you from persecution. 
If it does say that, then why have so many been persecuted through church history? Why have so many people been martyred in church history? What he says there, let's leave it with what it says. He will keep you from the hour of temptation which will come upon all the earth to try them. What hour is he talking about? You can read in your pre-trip thought maybe into that, but that's not what it says. See, some of y'all were waiting for me to get to this verse. Waiting to find out and see what I'm going to say with this verse, you know. But pastor, it says he's going to keep us from that hour. And the word ek, out of the hour. We're not just going to go through it. And we think that that's the seven years. Just hang in here with me. Okay, watch this. Do you understand what I'm trying to show you? We read into that verse there that we're not going to go into the seven years. But then he says this, Behold, I come quickly. And that's Urkomai. That is his second coming. And, and I'm going to show it to you this morning. Matthew 24, when he gathers his elect, when he episanagos you, which means to gather you upwardly at his second coming. That is when he urkomize. Do you understand what he's telling this church? He said, I'm going to keep you through the hour that's going to come upon all the earth. Out of that hour. All right? But it's in relationship to his second coming, which is post-tribulational. I can see you don't understand, but just hang here with me. You will. He goes on and he says, okay, behold, I come quickly. I urkomize quickly. Hold that fast which thou hast, that no man take thy crown. Him that overcometh, will I make a pillar in the temple of my God. And he shall go no more out, and I will write upon him the name of my God, and the name of the city of my God, which is New Jerusalem, which cometh down out of heaven from my God, and I will write upon him my new name. He that hath an ear. How many got ear today in the spirit? He that hath an ear, let him hear what the Spirit saith unto the churches, plural. So it's not just a church in ancient history he's talking to. He's talking to all the churches in their day, throughout history, and in your day, to the people that's going to see the Urkomai of Jesus, that's going to see the second coming of Jesus, and the Urkomai is post-tribulational and not pre-tribulational. Okay, you hear? And he tells us the need to overcome. So this message is not just for the churches in the past. It's to all churches, plural. Okay, let's pray. Father God, I thank you right now for your awesome, awesome, awesome word. I give you the glory and the honor and the praise and the worship. Oh God, you are holy today. Speak into our lives, God, truth. That will transform us and prepare us for hard times. I give you all the glory and the praise today for this word in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. Now let me just run through this and explain it to you just a little bit. Number one, there are seven churches in the book of Revelation. Seven kingdom parables in Matthew 13. We are in the sixth church here. There is the sixth kingdom parable. It's the pearl of great price. You with me? There are seven days of creation. The sixth day of creation 
is when God made man. You understand? And man was placed in the earth to have dominion over this earth. To bring everything under the subjection to God. And that was on the sixth day. So we got the sixth church, sixth kingdom parable, the pearl of great price. The sixth day of creation is when man was created. We have seven feasts of the Lord. Passover, Pentecost, and Tabernacles, the main three. Okay? What Jesus is doing here is he's showing us the finished work of the cross. He's showing us the power of Pentecost. And he's showing the church how to get into Tabernacles, the third dimension or the throne room. That's for the overcomer. All right? So that's in relationship to the seven feasts. In Old Testament history, you have seven periods of history. Last week we talked about in the fifth church, laid over the history of the captivity. Now this sixth church lays over the history of the Old Testament in the coming out of captivity and going back home. And rebuilding the temple of God and the walls of the city in the midst of great opposition. Great struggle. Great battle to build the temple of God and the walls of the city. So that when they went back to build the, that city, they had only a little bit of power. But with a little bit of power, they were able to build the city of God, build the temple of the Lord, restore the walls and the gates of the city. Say, gates of the city. This is good. This is good. So that's the sixth epoch of history. Are y'all understanding what I'm doing? I'm laying sixes here. All right. Hallelujah. Y'all love Jesus today? Y'all ready to have church? And I'm giving you that right now as a foundation because I'm not going to have time to go over and run and look at the scriptures with you. You're going to have to go and look at them for yourself. Okay. Let's look at this church then. The Bible says unto the church of Philadelphia, the angel, write these things saith he that is holy or the holy. So the emphasis is on holiness. The anatomy of a, of a true revival church in the last days whether it be now or during the tribulation period, is a church that is separated unto God. It is a church that is holy unto God because He is holy. Be ye holy. It means set apart unto God, right? So this church, revival church, is a holy church. And then he goes on and he says, He that is true. So the focus is upon the truth. A lot of people today are not focusing on the Word of God. They're focusing on psychology and philosophy. But He is the truth. So a revival church can be a church that's holy. A church that's full of truth. And then it says, He that hath the key of David, Jesus, has the key of David. And the key of David, go back to Isaiah 22 sometime. And there was a man who had the key to the treasure house of the king. And the only way to get into the treasure house of the king. Was if you went to that man. And he would open the door for you. It was a key of authority. The authority of David. And okay. And I don't have time to get into all the details here. Alright. But what happened in that context of Isaiah 22. Is you had a false servant. With the key. 
And that key was taken from the false and given to the true. Are you here today? The key was taken from the false and given to the true. And so that, that man who had the key of David had access to the treasure house of the king. And so you could not have access into the house of the king or his treasures or his authority without having that key. And so the Lord says to this church that is holy, that is true. He says, I'm the one who has the key to the house of David. I'm the one who has all authority and power in the earth. I am the only one that will give you access into the city of God, the Jerusalem of God. And because I've got the key of David and I've got authority, I give you authority to go out and preach the gospel. I give you an open door that no man can shut. And if I shut the door, no man can open it. Because I'm the only one that's got the key of access. Do you understand that today? So this church is a church that's a revival church. A door has been opened for evangelism to this church. And nobody can shut the door. Even though it's little in strength. Little in size makes no difference to God. Little in numerical size. God doesn't care how many numbers. He says, I know you've got a little strength. You've got a little power. You've got a, a, maybe a few in number. He said, but I've opened a door for you that no man can shut. And any door that I shut, no man can open that door. Do you believe that today? This church of Philadelphia in Asia Minor, modern-day Turkey, literally was known as the place that the Greek language would go forth from. From that place. But it changed from just the Greek language going forth from where the gospel would go forth. And Jesus is, are you with me today? He's going to open a door so the gospel can be preached to that world at that time. But he's telling us the same thing. Because we are the church of Philadelphia. I'm looking at you. You're a holy church. You're a church that has not denied his name. You're a Jesus name church. You're a one God church. You're an apostolic church. And you're walking with him. And he's going to open a door for that kind of church. To spread the gospel throughout all of the world. And nobody can shut the door to that church. Because Jesus is opening the door. And he's got the true power and the true authority to do it. Amen. So in those days, again, the Greek language went forth. But today it's the gospel of Jesus Christ. Amen. Now go on and he says this. Watch. He says to this church. He says, I've set before you an open door and no man can shut it. For thou hast a little power or strength. And has kept my word and has not denied my name. Behold, I will make of them of the synagogue of Satan, which say they are Jews and are not, but do lie. That's interesting to me because when we go back and we talked about Samaria, Simon Magus of Samaria, who was the one that was going to bring all kinds of false doctrine into the church. Well, the Samaritans claimed to be Jewish. You with me here? I don't have time to go back and reteach that. 
But basically, they were, they were a sect of people who were lying. And in the Old Testament, when Ezra and Nehemiah tried to do their thing, especially Nehemiah, it was the Samaritans that were trying to stop the work from taking place. And that's the sixth epic of history. Now we go on and he says this. He says, I will make them to come and worship before thy feet and to know that I have loved thee. Because thou hast kept the word of my perseverance, I also will keep thee from the hour of temptation, which shall come upon all the world to try them that dwell upon the earth. Behold, I come quickly. Hold that fast which thou hast, that no man take thy crown. Him that overcometh will I make a pillar in the temple of my God. And that would be, inter- be very important to these people because in their history, that, that place had earthquakes. And most of the time, people wouldn't stay in that city because of the earthquakes. They would go outside of the city. And anybody that stayed in the city of Philadelphia was looked at the, by the rest of them as mad, as insane. Why would you stay in Philadelphia when earthquakes are always hitting that place? You know, the walls are going to fall down on you. The, the you know, mortar is going to fall down on you. And what they would do as soon as an earthquake would hit that city, they would run out of that city with fear because there was no stability there. But the Lord says this to this church. He says, he that overcometh will I make a pillar in the temple of my God. And he says, and he shall go no more out. You're not going to have to run out of this city afraid anymore from the earth. I'm going to make you a pillar in the temple of my God. Now, when you get in the Jerusalem of God, there is no literal physical temple. The Lord is the temple thereof. And so to be a pillar in the temple of my God literally means to be standing in his presence, never to go out again. And that's good news to somebody that has the ground shaking underneath him. That's good news to somebody that's got to run out of their house every time an earthquake hits them. They understand what the Lord is saying to them. And he says, and I will write upon him a new name. And two times in their history, the name of that city was changed. One time it was called New Caesar or Neo Caesar. Another time it was called Flavius after the Emperor Flavius. And then back to Philadelphia again. So they understood historically what the Lord was saying here when he says, I'm going to write upon you a new name. If you overcome, I will write upon him, say upon him, the name of my God. So they had seen their, their city change names over and over. So what the Lord's doing, he's taking the historical background of this church. He's trying to teach you something with it. They understood what it was to change their name. And so now he said, I'm going to give you a new name. I'm going to write upon you the name of my God and the name of the city of my God. Wonder what the name of the city of my God is. Well, if you look in the Old Testament, the Lord is there, which means the Lord is present is the name of that city. The New Jerusalem is that city, but the Lord is present in that city is the name of that city. What is the name of God today that he's going to write upon their foreheads? The name of God today is Jesus. So he said, I'm going to write on him my name and the name of the city of my God, which is the New Jerusalem, 
which cometh out of heaven from my God, and I will write upon him my new name. Say new name. He that hath an ear, let him hear what the Spirit saith unto the churches. What an awesome promise to you, to that church in history, and to us today. What an awesome promise that is to know that God can open a door for us that no man can shut. That he's got all power and all authority. It's awesome to know that even in the last days, the Lord's going to have a revival church. He's going to have a remnant. He's going to have a Jesus name church, a one God church. A holy church. Somebody that's not denying his name or denying the truth. And I want to be a part of that revival church. And I believe that you do also. Amen. And so when you go back and you look at the kingdom parable in Matthew 13. If you want to turn there, you may. And I'm limited on time here, so I've got to try to cover this quickly. But go to Matthew 13. And the sixth parable, again, is related to the parable or to the church in uh, Philadelphia, Matthew 13. Here's what he says. Praise God. Okay, verse 45. The kingdom of heaven is likened unto a merchant man seeking goodly pearls. Who, when he had found one pearl of great price, went and sold all that he had and bought it. Who is the merchant man that went and sold everything he had and bought it? Jesus. Acts 20 verse 28 says that God purchased the church with his own blood. God did not sin Look over his son one day and say, son, go die for my people. God purchased the church with his own blood. Which means God took upon a body, flesh, bones, and blood, added to himself another nature, and died for you on the cross. That's the only way God, who is a spirit, can purchase you with his blood, is if he adds blood. A new nature to himself. So Jesus who is the son of God in his humanity. That's the humanity of God. God came in humanity and then died for you. And purchased you with the blood. That's the finished work. Of the cross. So the merchant man that goes out to uh, buy the goodly pearls. That sold everything he had. Is Jesus. You can't buy your salvation. We understand that. But, on the other hand, this shows somebody that's committed to the kingdom. They're willing to sell everything they got. Give everything they got so the kingdom can go forth. So the gospel can go forth. They have become conduits for the kingdom because they understand that it's a pearl of great price. And what's interesting about a pearl is this. Is that a pearl oyster, it gets a little bit of sand in it. And that little sand irritates it. And it has to endure it. It has to persevere through that time. And what it begins to do is it begins to coat that sand. And as it coats that sand over a period of time, then whenever you harvest the pearls, you have to break open the, per, uh, the oyster 
And when you break open the oyster, blood and water comes out of the oyster and the pearl flows out of the blood and the water. So Jesus is the true, the oyster is a type of Jesus. He's the, let me just put this right. He's the true oyster for your understanding. He is the one that was opened up and blood and water came flowing out of his side. And when it did, the church was brought into the world. We are people of the blood and the water. You understand? Amen. We're baptized in Jesus' name of the water. We got the blood applied to our lives in the name of Jesus. And we're filled with the Holy Ghost. But we understand that he is the merchant man that purchased the pearl and gave everything he had. That means his own life. That you might be saved. And what's so awesome is in Revelation chapter 21, the Bible said, The gates of that city are one solid pearl. So the way into that city is through a gate of pearl. And what that gate of pearl is showing you is the, through the suffering of Jesus Christ. The Lamb of God which takes away the sin of the world. That's the only way that you can get into that city. That's the only way that you can have access into that city. He's got the key. And it was through his great suffering like an oyster suffers. And then blood and water, the, har the pearl is harvested, that the church came forth. All right? So it's related to the church of Philadelphia. He said, I'm going to write on you, my, in the name of my God. I'm going to write on you the name of my city. You're going to have access into this city. You're going to have access through the gate of the pearl. I'm the one that's got the key of authority. I'll open a door for you. No man can shut and shut a door that no man can open. He's the only one that can give you access. And it's by the blood of Jesus Christ. It's by the gospel of salvation. The good news that you'll ever get in there. Praise God. Amen. Go to Genesis. In Genesis, the Bible talks about the creative days of God. And in verse 24, and God said, let the earth bring forth the living creature after his kind, cattle creeping thing, beasts of the earth after his kind. And it was so. God made the beasts of the earth after his kind, the cattle after their kind, and everything that creepeth upon the earth after his kind. And God saw it was good. God said, let us make man in our image. This is on the sixth day. After our likeness, and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the fowl of the air, over all cattle, over all the earth, and over every creeping thing that creepeth upon the earth. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God created he him, male and female, created he them. God blessed them, and God said unto them, be fruitful and multiply and replenish the earth and subdue it. And have dominion over the fish of the sea, say authority or dominion. Over the sea and over the fowl of the air and over every living thing that moveth upon the earth. So now we find out in the sixth day of creation, God is making man. He creates man in his image. 
in Revelation we see in the sixth church, it is the man that he created that becomes the pillar in the house of his God. It is that man who has a power and authority and dominion over the earth. Give God some praise. Praise God. Amen. Go with me to Revelation chapter 14. Revelation chapter 14. He says this to a group of people in the midst of the tribulation period. He says, verse 1, I looked and lo, a lamb stood on Mount Zion with them 144,000. And literally 144,000 is the number of the overcomer. That is literally the number of the overcomer. And he says this. Having his father's name written in their forehead. And that's exactly what he said to the church of Philadelphia. He said I'm going to write a new name on your forehead. Now because maybe in times past we might have been pre-tribulational. We take the church out before Revelation chapter 4. Okay. And we don't see the 144,000 as a part of the church. But the same thing he says to the church of Philadelphia. He said, I'm going to write upon you the name of my God. In Revelation 14:1, he says he's going to write it upon 144,000. And yes, I do believe that this is literal Israelite people. But I believe it means something so much more than just a physical, natural seed. I believe it means a spiritual seed of God. Who are the overcomers of God that have the name of God written on their foreheads. And they are the same ones that Jesus is talking to in Revelation chapter 3, the church of Philadelphia. And so it's our, it's our bad theology that says the 144,000 aren't a part of the church. But the same words that are spoken to the church of Philadelphia are spoken to the 144,000. Do you hear what I'm saying? He's an awesome God. And I want to stand with him on Mount Zion. With the, the name of my God on my forehead. The name of the city of my God on my forehead. I want to be a pillar in the house of my God. I want to be the redeemed man. The man of the sixth day of creation who's been redeemed by God. Standing in the presence of the Lord in the new Jerusalem of God. Overcoming everything, all the persecution, all the obstacles, all the suffering, enduring, patience, holding forth the word of his patience, never quitting, never stopping, never giving up, never surrendering. And if you're not shaking anything up, you don't have to worry about persecution. If you're just going with the flow of the world and you're not living holy unto him, you don't have to worry about persecution. But it's a church that are dedicated and separated and holy unto God that the world's not going to lack in the last days. So I made up my mind, I'm going to shake it up anyway. I'm going to live for him. I'm going to be holy unto my God. And it's going to cost, it's going to cost persecution. But it's a pearl of great price. Jesus is willing to pay the price for the 144,000. 
He was willing to pay that price for you. He knew the value of it. See, some people don't value the kingdom of God. But it's everything. If Jesus is willing to lay down his very life. So that there would be the kingdom of heaven on the earth. Then he's showing here a church who have overcome. Who are a part of what he's doing. They're holy. They're walking in truth. Yeah. That's not the majority of the church today. The majority of the church is in the next church. The Laodicea church. Lukewarm and carnal. Cold. Not even cold. Lukewarm. God said I'll spit them out of my mouth. They make me sick. That's the way God talks about lukewarm Christians. He says, they make me sick. I just want to spit them out. But in relationship to that church, the sixth church of Philadelphia is a church that's on fire. A church that's full of the power. That's full of the authority. That's walking holy under God. That doesn't deny his name. That's willing to sell everything they got to spread the gospel into the world. But God's going to protect that church in the midst of persecution. He's going to protect them. Hallelujah. See, this book is real to me. This is not a funny book. And this is not a novel from the hands of men. This is God challenging you. This is God talking to you. It's God talking to me today. Praise God. I want to be that church. Hallelujah. Let's go back and look particularly to verse... He said, I know you got a little power. I know you got a little strength. You look at that. And, and, and I got to think about that. How can they have little power when he's got all power and authority in his hand? And he said, I'm opening a door no man can shut. And I'm shutting some doors no man can open. And then how can he say they've only got a little power? Well, maybe they felt that way. Maybe they felt like they just had just a little strength. Maybe they thought that they just, they didn't know if they were going to make it. You know, that they're just about out of strength. But he says, you know what? you got to overcome that. you got to overcome that. Because I've got all power and i got all authority. And maybe you look at your little church here and don't think God's going to do anything with it. But God said, I'm going to open doors that no man can shut. And I'm going to shut doors that no man can open. And though you might be little in number, you might be small in strength. Be encouraged, said the Lord to that church. Because I'm the one who has all the power and all the authority. And I can do it. And when I open it, you just got to walk through it. You just got to be faithful, not denying my name, living holy, preaching the truth, living for God. Hallelujah. In the name of Jesus. I want to back up to chapter 3 and verse 10 and explain this to you. Because this is something that really, really people struggle with. This verse. But before I get there. When I talk about how he's going to take us out or keep us out of the tribulation or the hour of temptation and what that means, I want to talk to you also that the sixth seal, when it opens up, this is the sixth church. They were always worried about earthquakes in that part of the world in Philadelphia. 
The sixth seal, when the sixth seal is opened up, isn't it interesting that there's a great earthquake? Is it not also interesting that in the sixth millennium, which is now, that man has literally filled the earth and has taken dominion over it? You're living in the generation of seeing very powerful things. It is this century that has seen the plains in the sky. It's this century that has seen man take dominion over the heavens. It's this century that you've seen man in submarines under the waters of the seas. It is this century that man numerically is filling the earth and has tried so hard, unlike other times in history, to take dominion over everything that God said he could. But for the wrong reason. Not for the kingdom of God, but for himself. See, the primary problem that all of us have is self. See, man's trying to take dominion and subdue this planet for himself and not for the glory of God. If we can ever get over self, if we can ever get over ourselves, if we can ever get over our pride and our egos and what we want and go for what God wants, then we can walk through that door that God wants to bring in this end time. A powerful revival that's going to come into the church in the last days. But we've got to get rid of ourselves. We're too worried about what people think about us. We're too worried about our image. We're too worried about our egos. Brother, Brother Mahaney was talking about death last night. Well, let me tell you something. You have to die. You have to die. But can I tell you how you die? By understanding that his death was your death. When you get a revelation of the finished work of the cross, that he's the one that produced the oyster. When you get a revelation of that, when he's, you get a revelation that he produced the pearl from that oyster, from blood and water. When you get a revelation of what he did on the cross for you, then you will live for him. Because you understand that you're dead and your life is hid in God in Christ. You have to die. John is on the Isle of Patmos. The word Patmos means the place of his killing. That man, when he was in a place of his killing, that's when he got a revelation of Jesus. You see, we have to die to ourselves before God can ever use us. Because we're real busy in trying to promote ourselves. And God said, I'll shut those doors. You're going around trying to promote yourself. You know, me and Brother Mahaney were kind of uh, laughing a little bit. About an old prophet that, that he and I know, uh, Tom Barnes, old prophet. Now, Tom Barnes don't know me. I ain't nobody. But I know Tom Barnes. He's, he's been preaching a long time. He's in his 80s. He's a true prophet of God. And when he first started his ministry, you know, uh, <clears throat> he made this big old banner. Tom Barnes healing campaign. Praise the Lord. He's looking at that. I heard it on tape. He's looking at that sign, that banner, just admiring it. Tom Barnes healing campaign. And, and Tom Barnes, and I have this on tape. Me and Brother Mahaney was talking about it. He said, God said to Tom Barnes, Tom Barnes who? It's not your healing campaign. It's God's healing campaign. 
It's not my church. Bible Center Fellowship is nothing if God is not inside of it. We're not trying to promote our name, our own kingdoms. And whenever, whenever Tom Barnes heard God say, who's Tom Barnes? He said he got that banner and tore it up as fast as he could. See, because if you start, if you ever get a spirit about you that you want to promote yourself, then God will slam a door right in your face. He'll shut it faster than you can even begin to think twice. And I'm telling you today, God is going to raise up a powerful revival church. A church that has power and authority in the last days to go forth the door through the doors that he's opening. But my question is, what are the doors that he's shutting? He's got to shut some of them because some of them are ego motivated. They're flesh motivated. They're man motivated instead of God motivated. And it's in the apostolic church. It's in the Pentecostal church. It's in the church of Jesus Christ all over the world. People are trying to promote themselves. God said, okay, I'll just shut the door on you right now. See how you can sing now without the anointing. Sing how you can preach now without my anointing. I'll let you stand there and squirm like a worm. And show you that it's not about you. That it's about a relationship with me. I'll let you stand there and trip all over yourself, fall over yourself, hallelujah, stumble over your words, can't get your words out. And I'll show you that it's not about how good you are or how eloquent you are in speech. It's about the anointed power of the Holy Ghost. It's about walking with Jesus Christ and laying aside self and promoting his name and his kingdom and his city and valuing it and being willing to sell everything we got to see it go forth and I believe I'm a part of a church right now here in Odessa, Texas that wants to see the gospel of the kingdom go forth at any cost And maybe some of you have had the door slammed in your face a few times in your life. But that's a good thing. And you need to praise God. Say, God, I praise you not just for the doors that have been opened for me. But I praise you for the doors that have been slammed in my face. See, we look at doors that are shut in our face. And we, oh, we want to cry about it and complain about it and blame the devil for it. Oh, the devil, he's, he's hindering me. Friend, you need to, uh, if it's God, you'll look back and you'll say, thank you, God. Thank you, Jesus, for slamming the door in my face. Thank you, Jesus, for doing that. Because then, when that door was shut, then I started focusing on the one that has the true key of power and authority. I begin to focus on you, Lord God. I begin to wait for you to open the doors. And I went forth when you opened the doors. And there was an anointing on my life. I carried your name. I carried your word. I carried holiness. I had character. I had character. Now notice this. Are y'all with me up to this point? See, I'm preaching you by the Holy Ghost, man. I'm not preaching you from things I study today. I'm telling you right now, some of us have had some doors slammed in our face. Praise God for the doors that have been slammed in my face. 
because if they hadn't slammed the door in my face, I wouldn't be here this morning preaching this gospel. Thank God for the doors that have been slammed in my face. The Lord says, you know, you think it was the church denominal system that slammed the door in your face. Yeah, you, you know, you, you think uh, that it was the people you were associated with before that shut the door on you and didn't want you in their club anymore. But that's not what it was. It was me, saith God. I am the one who shut the door there for you so I could open a, a door of opportunity and evangelism that you would have never seen. But you have to be spirit directed. Because if you're not, you get discouraged when you don't get to sing your song. You get discouraged when nobody wants you to preach for them. Lord, what are you doing? You get discouraged if you don't have a hundred soul revival. We're in it for a revival, friend, but I want to tell you something. It's all about Jesus. And we'll do everything we got to see it happen in these last days. But it's not about self-promotion. It's about promoting the kingdom of the living God. So I'm asking the Lord today to slam doors in my face. If he don't want me going through them. If he don't want me ministering in that place. If he don't want me involved in that situation. Shut the door, Lord God Almighty. Right now, if I wanted to, I could walk right back into uh, the nominal system. The door's wide open for me. They've requested that I come. But I'm here to tell you right now, I only want God's will in my life. I'm, I'm God-focused. I'm kingdom-focused. I want to preach this gospel all over the world. I want to preach it to whosoever will listen. So I say, God, you just shut the doors and you open the doors. If you open, God, I'll walk through them. If you slam them on me, if you close the door in my face, I am not going to break it down. I'm going to say, praise the Lord. All right. Hallelujah. Don't understand. Don't know why. But you do, God. I'm not going to suck my thumb. I'm not going to pout. I'm not going to whine. God's got a work for all of us to do. But go through the doors he's opened. And stop trying to knock down doors he shut. Are y'all here tonight? He's holy. I said he's holy. I said he's holy. And I'm almost through. Hallelujah. How much time I got? My timekeeper, you know. Nobody knows. Hallelujah. When the door shuts. <laughs> Oh, praise the Lord. I, well, brother, I've had, I've had a few churches shut the door on me while I was preaching. Hallelujah. So <laughs> it depends on who's shutting the door. You know, if it's God shutting the door, okay, I shut up. Hallelujah. God's good, isn't he? Let me deal with this. Because thou hast kept the word of my patience, I also will keep thee from the hour of temptation. Which shall come upon all the world to try them that dwell upon the earth. Behold, I irk I quickly. I come quickly. Hold that fast which thou hast that no man take thy crown. You're going to have to overcome. 
Watch this. Esau sold his crown and Jacob got it. The false carrier of the key of Isaiah 21, 20, read Isaiah 21 and 22. The far, false person with the key, it was taken away from him and given to the true. You understand what I'm trying to show you here? Saul was replaced by David. It's not guaranteed. He says, you've got to hold fast your crown. Let no man take your crown. Don't let anybody. Come on, somebody. You've got to overcome discouragement. You've got to overcome persecution. You've got to overcome what people think about you. Because if you don't, you'll be more worried about what they are doing. And they'll take your crown right off the top of your head. Give God some praise. Let's go over here and let's talk about this hour of temptation. I've got just a few minutes. Daniel 12. I'm going I'm to prove to you right now that the church is going to be in the tribulation period. Because the seven-year tribulation period is not the day of the Lord. You understand that? We've already covered that. Pre-tribulational theology will teach you that the seven-year tribulation period of Daniel's 70th week is the day of the Lord. That is incorrect. And we have already proven that to you. Is, am I too heavy for you this morning? Daniel 12, verse 1. Watch this. Watch this. And at that time shall Michael stand up the great prince which standeth for the children of thy people. There shall be a time of trouble or a time of testing the word literally means this it means to be examined to determine what kind of nature or character a thing is so God is going to allow people to go through a time of trouble a time of testing to see what kind of nature they have to see if they're the good fish or the bad fish. He already knows, but he's going to manifest it. He's going to examine it. To see what, who the good fish are, who the bad fish are, who are the wheat, and who are the tares. He's going to. That's the reason for the time of testing. To examine to see what kind of nature I have and what kind of character I have. See, one thing the world is in lack of today is people who have character. So God's going to examine us to see what kind of nature we got and what kind of character we got, including me. I'm not preaching down to you, I'm preaching to myself this morning. He's going to put me through the fire. He's going to test me to see what I'm made of. Now, he already knows what I'm made of. But the reason why he's going to put me through the test so I can find out, so I can know what I'm made of. See, if I quit, guess what? I wasn't made of what I thought I was made of. If I endure and persevere the time of examination, then I, then I am. Real. I'm true. I am holy. I am a person who haven't denied his name. See what I'm saying? See, we can all talk the good talk. Oh, I'm a Christian. 
as long as your bank account's full. As long as nobody's causing you any flack, not causing you any problem. You're a Christian. What if somebody persecutes you for your faith? Are you strong enough? Are you steadfast enough to not deny that name? Come on. Not quit. Persevere. It's a suffering church. Daniel 12, he said, there's going to be Michael standing up. Great preacher. standing for the children of thy people. There shall be a time of trouble, testing, such as never was since there was a nation, even to that same time. And at that time, thy people shall be delivered, every one that has been found written in the book. Go to Jeremiah 30. I'm trying to explain to you the hour of temptation. He will keep you from or literally keep you out of that hour. So we have to decide what he's talking about. Now, if you're pre-tribulational, you love that verse because you're trying so hard to go out seven years before. You see, but if we'll just get honest with ourselves and just look at the Word of God for what the Word of God says and stop reading into it what we would like for it to be there. You understand? We see 144,000 people who have the name of God written in their forehead and they are in the tribulation period. We see the church of Philadelphia talked to by God telling them that they have to overcome all the way up to his Urkomai, to his coming. And that word Urkomai is post-tribulational. I'll prove it to you. Go to Jeremiah 30. What hour are we talking about? Praise God. I know you don't want to run and shout on this one. I mean, if I was preaching pre-trib, woo! Ha, yeah, we out of here. We escaping, man. We don't have to go through no examination, no testing, no trial, no trouble. We, we home free, man. You'll be running. You'll be shouting. You'll be screaming hallelujah. You, you'd affirm that what I'm preaching is thus saith God. But now that I'm getting into the word of God, you've gotten quiet on me. Jeremiah 30. You know why I'm preaching to you like this? Because I love you. Because there's going to, listen, there will be a wholesale slaughter of people who thought it was pre-trib. If it's not pre-trib. Because they won't be ready. And they'll say, my Lord delayeth his coming. And they'll backslide into the world. And that's why God said there's going to be a great apostasy before he comes. Now watch this. Daniel 12. I already read that. Jeremiah. Jeremiah 30. Okay, watch. Y'all there? How we doing? Okay. Jeremiah 30 and verse 7. Alas, for that day. What do you mean when you say that day? Talk about the day of the Lord. Now, I don't have time to explain to you the day of the Lord, but it's, it started in the book of Genesis. All those seven days were days of the Lord. And in the times of the prophets of the Old Testament, they had day of the Lord type manifestations of God. It's when God judges the wicked and saves the righteous. And there is an ultimate day of the Lord which is after the seven-year tribulation period, 
when God judges the wicked and saves the righteous. Okay, with me here? And so Jeremiah 30, verse 7, Alas, for that day is great, that day, so that there is none like it. It is even the time of Jacob's trouble, but he shall be saved out of it. That didn't say that he's not going to go through any of it. He says he's going to be saved out of what? The day of the Lord. Watch this. Go with me to. It didn't say we're going to be saved out of the seven year tribulation period or before it starts. It said we're going to be saved from that day. And that day is post-tribulational. The day of the Lord. Because the day of the Lord begins, watch this. You got seven years tribulation period. The day of the Lord is the beginning of the kingdom age. You with me? Thousand year day. So it's not before the seven year tribulation period starts. It's after the seven year tribulation period starts that the kingdom age is set up. It's after the seven-year tribulation period that Jesus comes back and rewards the righteous and judges the wicked. That's what he's saying you're going to be saved out of the day of the Lord, his wrath, not the seven-year tribulation period. Because the day of the Lord is not the seven-year tribulation period. Now watch. You see what I'm saying? We have read into that verse, pre-tribulation, when it don't say that. So I just took your sugar cane out of your mouth. Because I know some of you, you're, you're reading in your, your secret chamber. And you're reading Revelation 3, verse 10 and 11. And you're saying, I can't wait till pastor gets there. Because we won't see what he's going to say now. Because God said he's going to keep us out of the hour of temptation. That's going to come upon all the world to test them. That's what he said. But he didn't say that that's pre-tribulational and he didn't say that we wouldn't be persecuted and he didn't say that we would not suffer he did say he would take or keep us out of his wrath his wrath the day of the Lord that's the hour he's talking about now I'm going to go over here and I'm going to show you another verse in the New Testament let's go to Matthew 24 Remember this, Matthew 24. Are y'all awake still? I feel like I've just been rambling on up here, but hopefully somebody's getting something out of this. Remember when you study prophecy, you have to have Daniel 7, Matthew 24, and the book of Revelation side by side. They all teach the same thing. They give you a general view of prophecy first. Then they talk about the persecution of the saints. The church. Then they talk about the destruction of Antichrist. And then they talk about the setting up of God's kingdom at his second coming. Read Daniel 7. Same thing. Same events. Matthew 24. Same events. And the book of Revelation. Same events. General overview of prophecy. Persecution of the saints. Destruction of the Antichrist and his kingdom and the setting up of God's. 
doesn't teach that I'm going to escape persecution. Matthew 24, watch this. Thank you, sister. Verse 29. Immediately after, after the tribulation of those days, shall the sun be darkened. After the tribulation, the sun's going to be darkened. When these phrases we've already seen in the Bible are used, the sun darkened, except the moon shall not give her light. That's post-tribulational. And it's, it's in relationship to the day of the Lord. That's the way God describes the day of the Lord. As when there's a, um, the sun darkened and the moon not giving her light. But look, it's after the tribulation period that that's happening. And the stars shall fall from heaven, and the powers of the heaven shall be shaken. And then, when? After the tribulation of those days. Then shall appear the sign of the Son of Man in heaven, and then shall all the tribes of the earth mourn, and they shall see the Son of Man, Erkomai, coming in the clouds of heaven with power and great glory. He said it's after the tribulation of those days that he urkomized. Did you hear that? And to the church of Philadelphia, he, he uses the very word come there is the same word that's used in Matthew 24. And it's post-tribulational. It's after the seven-year tribulation period. Look it up for yourself. Get you a Strong's Concordance. Look it up. It's Urkomai. And then go to Revelation 3, 10 and 11. And the word come there is Urkomai. And it's after the tribulation period of those days. It is not pre-tribulation. So what he's taking you out of is not the seven-year tribulation period. What he's taking you out of or away from is the day of the Lord, the time of his wrath. That's what I'll be protected from. His wrath. His fiery judgment upon the wicked when he comes. He's going to save the righteous. It's a time of darkness. It's when the sun's brought it out and the moon doesn't give her light anymore. That's what he says he's going to protect us from. Do you understand that? Amos asked, the prophet Amos asked the people of his day. He said, what is the day of the Lord to you? A day of darkness, gloominess, a day of judgment. That's the day of the Lord. He said, what is it to you? They were wanting the day of the Lord to come. Because their understanding of the day of the Lord was it was a time then when God saved the righteous. But God says, what is the day of the Lord to you? It's judgment. It's darkness. Because you have turned your back on God. Because you have denied His name. Now the day of the Lord, instead of being a time of salvation and a time of victory for you, you're no longer the righteous. You are the wicked who've turned their back on God. So to you, it's a time of judgment. So the day of the Lord is a time of judgment upon the wicked. And it's a time of salvation and light and glory for the righteous. And that's what Jesus wants you to see, the promise to this, to this church right here for being faithful and not denying his name. And overcoming that time of test and examination when he checks out what kind of nature I have, what kind of character I have. He said, I'll write upon you the name of my God. I'll write upon you the name of the city of my God. I'll make you a pillar 
in the temple of my God. You won't go out. And he even uses the term New Jerusalem there. And so he says about his coming to that church, it's Urkelmai. And so I'm, do you understand what I'm doing here? I'm showing you Matthew 24 that Urkelmai, the coming of the Lord, is after the tribulation of those days. God is not trying to give you a promise that he's going to keep you out of seven years of tribulation. He's trying to give you a promise. He's going to keep you from the time of darkness and judgment and wrath upon the whole world. He said it's going to, what he's talking about is the time when his wrath comes upon the whole world. Not just the first three and a half years, or let me put it this way, last three and a half years when the wrath of God just falls on the nation of Israel locally. He's talking about when God's wrath is poured out on the whole world. And that is after the tribulation period. He said it's going to come upon the whole world to test them. But that's what he's talking about keeping us out of. He hadn't promised you that if Antichrist rises to power, that you're not going to lose your head in that verse. He hasn't promised you any such thing. He hasn't promised you protection from martyrdom. He hasn't promised you a pre-tribulation rapture in that verse. What he's promising you is the time of his wrath and judgment upon all the world when it comes. A time of testing. To determine, is it good fish, bad fish, weed, tares, what kind is it? At the end of the age. Read the parables at the end of the age. The end of the age is the day of the Lord. It's when he burns the field up. He burns the world up. He burns all the tares in the world up. And he gathers into his barns the righteous. And he calls it the end of the age. It's the day of the Lord that he's talking about. This is an awesome message. This is an awesome message of hope. It's an awesome message. Some of you don't understand how can I preach like that and be excited because I'm talking about for those who are faithful, those who persevere, endure. The time to come, that seven-year tribulation period, you're going to be gathered into his barn at the end of the age and the rest of the fields are going to be burned. Now watch this. Did you, did you get that? Okay, I'm going to prove it to you. Let me, Matthew 24, 29. Immediately after the tribulation of those days, after shall the sun be darkened and the moon shall not give her light and the stars shall fall from heaven and the powers of the heavens shall be shaken and then shall appear the sign of the son of man in heaven then shall all the tribes of the earth mourn they shall see the son of man Urkomai, coming in the clouds of heaven with power and great glory to the unbeliever it's mourning to the unbeliever it's crying to the unbeliever it's judgment but to the righteous he says and he shall send his angels with a great sound of a trumpet that is the last trumpet it's the seventh trumpet it's associated with the Feast of Rosh Hashanah, the last trumpet that sounded there. Come on, are you with me here? And the last trumpet is the seventh trumpet of the book of Revelation. You didn't hear me, did you? When is he going to gather his elect at his coming? When he comes in the clouds and he sounds the trumpet. First Thessalonians 4 says he's going to descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of the archangel and the trump of God. And the dead in Christ shall rise first. 
then we which are alive remain shall be caught up together with them to meet the Lord in the air. So shall we ever be with the Lord. Wherefore, comfort one another with these words. It's a comforting thing today I preach to you. He shall sin. So we got, we've got the unbeliever weeping and mourning and crying and judged. But he says he's going to send his angels with a great sound of a trumpet. The great trumpet of God. And they shall gather. Episanago. Gather. That word gather is the same word that's used in 1 Thessalonians 4. When it talks about concerning our gathering together unto him. Episanago. Our gathering together unto him in 1 Thessalonians 4 at the time of the rapture. And the same word is used right there. Gather episanago, and it is after the tribulation period. It is not before it. I know I keep repeating myself, but I got to get some stuff out of you. I've got to get some false doctrine out of you. I know the majority of people preach pre-trib, but I'm going to the Bible, and I'm comparing word with word, scripture with scripture, and I'm telling you God's time of wrath is at the end of the tribulation period. The time of his coming is post-tribulational. And the gathering of the church is post-tribulational. And it's at the sounding of the seventh trumpet or the last trumpet that we're gathered. And so he says, And they shall gather together his elect. Gather his elect. Upwardly. Epa. Synagogue. Synago. Gathered upward unto him. It's at, after the tribulation. And he said, from the four winds, from one end of heaven to the other. Hallelujah. Isn't that beautiful news? That's when he's going to come and take us out. It's after the tribulation of those days. It's when, the, it's when the heavens are shaken and the sun starts shining. It's when the moon can't give her light anymore. If you don't believe me, friend, you go three through the book of Revelation. And as these seals are open and these trumpets are open and these bowls are open, you've got the what? You've got all kinds of physical things happening in the universe in the tribulation period. But he puts it at the end here, the time when the church is caught out. Do you understand? At his urkomai, his coming. Now, let's go over to 1 Thessalonians for does this confuse you where am I sister okay she said I have five minutes I'm just now getting anointed finally got myself out of the way first Thessalonians he says this Do you think, let me talk to you just a minute. Pre-tribulationists will say that the apostles believed Jesus was going to come in their day. Are you funny? Do you think those apostles were so biblically illiterate that they believed that Jesus was going to come in their day and it's been 1,900 years and he hasn't come? You're telling me that they missed it? No. They believed in the imminent coming of the Lord, which means at any time. In connection with 
the events that precede that coming. He's saying as soon as you begin to see these events right here take place, then lift up your head because your redemption draw. They knew that. They had the word from the Lord. They knew what Jesus said in Matthew 24. They're not stupid people. They did believe in imminent at any time coming of the Lord. But it was as these signs begin to take place or preceded that coming. Then they said, then he will come at any time. Those men were not ignorant. Pre-tribulationists have made them ignorant. First Thessalonians 5. But of the times and seasons, brethren, you have no need that I write unto you for yourself know perfectly that the day of the Lord so cometh as a thief in the night. The word there cometh as a thief in the night is urkomai. What's coming? What? The Lord is coming as a thief in the night. It's connected with the day of the Lord. Tried to show you what you'll be saved out of. The day of the Lord. His wrath. And that is post-tribulational. That's the true promise to the church of the living God. To the overcomer. When Brother Mahaney said, you give, if the Lord doesn't come in five years, this is going to happen, this is going to happen. I'm over there saying, you know, yeah, yeah, yeah. We definitely got five years, brother. We got seven, at least. <laughs> That's right. And I'm not looking to go hide in a cave somewhere. I'm looking to go and preach the gospel in those days. The Lord's trying to show you a church that's red hot on fire. Preaching the gospel, bringing souls into the kingdom, like the 144,000. They caught up to Mount Zion with the name of God in their forehead, having the glory of God upon them. Thank you, sister. Isn't God good? Yourself know perfectly, verse 2 of chapter 5 of Thessalonians. My, as a thief in the night. For when they shall say peace and safety, then sudden destruction cometh upon them. There we go. That judgment connected with the day of the Lord upon the wicked. When they say, all right, as to fell upon a woman with child, and they shall not escape. But ye, brethren, are not in darkness, that that day, that day, what day? The day of the Lord. He just told you the day of the Lord. He said, what you're not in darkness about is that day. You are children. That they should overtake you as a thief. In fact, in the book of Revelation, when we look at it, when we see him coming as a thief in the night, it's post-tribulational, not pre-tribulational. And it is the day of the Lord, and the word is Urkomai. But ye, brethren, are not in darkness that that day, the day of the Lord should overtake you as a thief. You are the children of light. You are the children of the day. We are not of the night, nor of the darkness. Therefore, let us not sleep as do others, but let us watch and be sober. Praise God. You love the Lord. Give the Lord a hand clap of praise. So in closing, let's go back over to Revelation 3. And I know some of this is brand new and it's hard to follow because you're not used to Urkel, my, and all these words I'm using. But I'm just trying to show you there is a difference. Okay. 
there is a difference from the seven-year tribulation period and the day of the Lord. They're not the same. Okay, re ready? Are you ready? Say, I'm ready. Because thou hast kept. Why are they going to be saved out of that time? Because you have kept the word of my patience. You endured. You didn't apostatize. I also will keep thee from the hour of temptation, or literally ek, out of the hour of temptation, which shall come upon all the world. It's the whole world time judgment of God that he's promised you to be kept out of. Which are, to try them which dwell upon the earth. Behold, I urkel my quickly. Hold that fast which thou hast, that no man take thy crown. He's talking to a church that will see the second coming of Jesus, post-tribulational, right before the day of the Lord. And he tells us, those people are the one who are going to be rewarded with the name of God upon their foreheads, symbolically, I'm sure, and the name, the, the name of uh, the city of my God, and will be a pillar in the house of our God, never to go out again. But it's to those who qualify. It's to those who overcome. It's not to everybody. So you're looking at a man possessed. I am possessed. See, this book right here, they thought the Philadelphian people were mad. They thought they were crazy for staying in that city with earthquakes coming down all around them. And some of y'all look, like, look at me like I'm crazy, and I look at you like you're crazy. Hallelujah. You, you, think, you think right now is the time to get lukewarm and carnal and half backslid, half worldly minded, full of self? You, you're crazy, man. You think I'm crazy. I say you're crazy. One man looked at another man in the New Testament and said, Much learning hath made you mad. So, if they call you crazy, they call you mad. You're in good company. His name was Paul. I love you today. You're an awesome blessing to me, and you're an awesome blessing to the kingdom of God. And I pray that this word today will help you endure and be ready for whatever comes your way. Because there are great, great promises to the righteous. And there are great promises to the wicked. Those that deny him. Let's stand. Father God, I give you all the glory and the honor and the praise today. Show God. God, God, God. You're going to send a revival. Thank you for your anointing tonight. Pray for this church. I pray for every church that's preaching the truth. Pray for the church in Taiwan, China, Lord Jesus, all over the world. Dear God, let the mighty harvest come in. It was a pearl of great price that you died for, Lord. Help us value it the level you valued it. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen and amen. You are dismissed to the barbecue. I know that's what y'all been waiting for all morning.